Hello, and welcome to the CCWSA podcast. I am Rob Hyde here in Oklahoma City, joined by my guest today, Brian Eastridge. Brian, thanks for hopping on and joining us. I appreciate it. Appreciate the invite, Rob. Thanks. Um, give me just a little more volume if you can there. On my end right there? Yep. That better? Hold on just a second. Touch, touch more. Okay. How about that? That's perfect, buddy. Okay. Thanks. <clears throat> um, you guys are familiar with Brian. We've had him on before. Um, he is uh, he is a veteran, spent time in the Rangers. Um, at the tail end now, winding down a career in law enforcement. Um Thank you for your service, little brother. Appreciate that. I was, I was just uh, talking to somebody the other day. I just, I just went out to Fort Benning to watch one of our our buds graduate, and uh, got to kind of go back to the alma mater there. And there was a lot of dust in the building. I got a lot of dust in my eyes in that deal. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I never served in the Ranger Regiment. I was in the eighty second with, uh, and uh, went to the school of all schools there, and. That's uh, a lot gotcha. of people, that's kind of a confusing uh, differentiation, but but uh, didn't make the school any less hard. I can promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian, as I mentioned, has, has spent a career in law enforcement as well. Um, I actually had the, the opportunity to have a little hand in his training when he came on initially. And uh, he's actually now at the the conclusion of that career, and obviously gathering no moss. He is the founder of the EDC Belt Company, and has got a great product out there. Um, something that we've spoken on on multiple occasions. It's something that I encourage people to use. I've I've been wearing belts for firearms for. Uh, decades <laughs> and it, it is uh, it is still my favorite everyday belt it's the it's the one I go to all the time so it's a great product and you guys should check it out <clears throat> well, I appreciate that that's uh, that's its own little monster that has grown into its own its own uh, monstrosity there but uh, yeah that's that's pretty good uh, me in a nutshell and then you know, gathering no moss, hosting podcasts and Patreon, and it's just uh, never a dull moment. But uh, well, why don't you talk on that for just a second, Brian? I've 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 been honored to be a guest on your podcast before. Um, tell them a little bit about that. Tell them about some of your your material that is available out there online that they can get a hold of. Yeah, so I've got the off duty on duty podcast, which was. Uh, the brainchild of, of uh, Jacob Paulson out of uh, concealedcarry.com. Uh, great people, great human beings, and I do quite a bit of work with them. Uh, Shot Show and some other some other things like that. They're they're a retail outlet or uh, retail vendor for our belts, and uh, 
been working with them for about three and a half years and done the podcast for about two. Uh, matter of fact, I think here in a couple months is, is two years on the dot. And, uh, and then I have a, a Patreon page that I charge people three bucks a month and it's just so I can keep putting out, uh, cool content, but I try to do some like average Joe armor slash gunsmithing type things because there's YouTube is a pretty good source, but you, you pay for what you get sometimes with, yeah. um, and, and I've been through a lot of specialized training in that stuff. And, and, uh, you know, like re revolvers There are a lot of guys that don't even know how to like take a Smith and Wesson revolver apart competently. And, and, uh, the quickest way that I could get it to a mass audience was, uh, on Patreon without dealing with some of the, um, let's say the, the, the less gun friendly platforms that are out there. Uh, so I don't, you know, I, I don't offend the sensibilities of some, uh, fact checker that sits, you know, in an office somewhere, but, um, but yeah. And, and I, I got uh, several subscribers and, and I'll take requests. Say, you know, I've done videos on Beretta 92s and Smith and Wessons and, and walked through some 1911 work and 2011s and stuff like that. So, you know, I just try to like pass some of that knowledge on some of that institutional knowledge is dying off really fast. And, yeah. uh, you know, in, and it's good and bad. The good in it is, you know, we have these fantastically reliable and, uh, very accurate now Tupperware guns, tactical plastic that 20 years ago, I wouldn't have believed they can do what they do now. Uh, but there's a resurgence in some of the other platforms, mm -hmm. revolvers and, and your single action Beretta 92s and things like that. And a lot of the people that have had a depth of knowledge in that are, are, are just going away. I mean, they're, they're, uh, I'm certainly not in the average age bracket for that, but, but I spent a lot of time in those, uh, those schoolhouses learning, learning the trades of that. And, you know, I just kind of feel like it needs to be passed on. So. Well, you know, and we've had such a, a huge explosion in the market as far as, <clears throat> Um, smaller carry options uh, and everybody's come out with really incredible accurate workable pieces um, whether they're compact or subcompact um, you know Jeff Gonzalez has done a full series for us on, mm -hmm. on his stuff and it it is amazing some of the stuff that's out there and how tiny and accurate and concealable some of this stuff is, but, uh, I kind of wanted to get you on here to go back a little bit old school. And you touched on that a little bit, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people out there that are new to the gun business understand, but we've, we've been doing concealed carry for a long, long time. You know, mm -hmm. there, there was a time that, that everybody was around on the streets with a, with a little pocket gun and a derringer and and moving through life every day that way um and most revolvers were pretty big and bulky but not all of them and and now there there is kind of a, a little resurgence and and there's folks out there that 
are really anti-revolver and that's fine. That, that, that one's not for you, but um, there's some that have, you know, we've got had a lot of questions about what about a revolver for an everyday carry? What, what are the, what are your thoughts on those kind of things? And, you know, I'm, I'm really comfortable with a revolver. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of them and I have been for a long time. Um, they're a very simple, uh, you know, you were talking about people being able to take them down and, and work through it. It, it is a really simple platform. It's something that it's amazed just how little the inner workings of those things have changed over a really long time now, <clears throat> but they're, they're super simple to work on once you figure out where you're at and how to get around them and um, kind of really simple maintenance on them. Um, and with, with the improvement in materials and things like that, um, man, the options now are endless as far as, as what you can do with them. So. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, I would even say, uh, you know, knowing your, your age bracket, we're like 17 years apart. Um, uh, even people that came up in, in your era, that knowledge base is pretty slim. Yep. Uh, you know, we were, we both worked for an agency that was very revolver centric, even into the early two thousands. Uh, they had stopped issuing revolvers in 1990. So, you know, I tell people all the time, the old heads, when I hit the street, were still, a lot of them were still toting wheel guns and, uh, shooting on it, you know, the NRA PPC, uh, competitions yeah, you know, we had to get very very deeply skilled on how to maintain a revolver uh there was no traveling gunsmith well when i got on the team i i kind of took it upon myself to really so you were the traveling gunsmith I, yeah um and i was actually maintaining more of the semi-autos than i was uh because we were shooting 1911 platforms and that's that's um, there is no other subject matter on earth that I know more than the 1911 platform. Uh, it just, thanks to a, a dad that was a pretty prolific collector of them for a long time. And, uh, but with the revolvers, uh, they were very good at neglect. And I, I borrowed this from like Hanny McMood and Daryl bulky. We have these brain trust meetings every time we get together talking about, you know, old school trade craft and things like that. And, um, you could load a revolver tomorrow and in 20 years, provided that sets in your, your sock drawer and you never touch it in 20 years, there's a better than 90% chance that provided that ammunition didn't get tainted, it's going to work. Yep. Uh, can't really say the same for semi-autos just because of the way they work. Uh, now there are exceptions to all of that, but, um, you know, in the role of what I call the fire extinguisher gun, the gun that somebody goes out and shoots one, once every two to three years uh, and doesn't do a lot of maintenance to, you know, maybe shoots 30, 40 rounds every two or three years and wants to have a gun in the home with a simple manual of arms, push a button, open the cylinder, and I can see if it's loaded or not. That fits really well into that role. Yeah. Um for somebody that's not fully committed. Uh, now, 
The flip side of that is carrying revolvers is a master's degree study of how to how to carry one and be effective with it because they're not the easiest thing to shoot, especially the smaller they get. Yeah. And yeah. And that's kind of where I live with those, you know, I, I have collections of full size revolvers and mids like unique stuff. Uh, but now thanks to Ruger and Taurus and Smith and Wesson kind of pivoting on what their focus is. We now have, five and six shot small frame revolvers um, that are, they, and this is not a knock on Glock. They're kind of soulless, like a Glock where you drop them on the pavement, something happens to them and there's not a huge financial or emotional attachment to that firearm. Um, whereas, you know, I, I inherited my, my dad's model 36 chief that he carried as long as I, as I can remember, I have that gun. I've carried it. Uh, it sets in my gun safe because if that were to get seized, stolen, uh, broken, there's a pretty hell, heavy emotional attachment to that gun. Yeah. Um, you know, one bad reload or something and, and it, it could have a, I don't want to risk a catastrophic failure. Um, so with Ruger, Taurus and Smith now, making a, a pretty good selection of affordable i don't want to call them disposable but less uh collector value type guns uh there's been this uptick in in interest in revolvers so but shooting those guns well tends to be not your entry level gun <laughs> person it, it, I, I i used to tell people you know if you can shoot a semi-auto, especially a striker fired semi-auto with some degree of proficiency, you've kind of graduated high school, right? That that's about the educational level that it requires to be pretty proficient with that. Whereas with a small frame revolver, you are a dedicated, like you are a graduate degree student of, of, uh, weapon craft, so to speak, uh, especially to carry one competently um or or be able to use it competently because they're not the easiest thing in the world to shoot yeah i agree with you um i've i've gone a little different route though um i've i've had i've had people on the line before that i i was working with that were really having issues mm -hmm. and i think sometimes that's that's not a full grasp a full knowledge, working knowledge of, of how that thing actually works <clears throat> and to take something as simple as a revolver construction wise mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and to be able to get a visual on a hammer mm -hmm. coming back and falling and, and a cylinder turning. And, and it's, it's a little easier to grasp the concept of it. Yeah. Um, so without taking aim or anything else, just let's sit here and pull through and, and take a couple rounds safely down into the berm and let's just watch how this thing functions. Now let's try to get a sight picture. Let's, let's touch one off and then let's move back to that semi-auto. And all of a sudden the semi-auto is just like, oh man, that's easy. Right. And, um, 
that's something that Daryl, uh, Daryl Balky, my dear friend of mine, uh, who he runs a, a Facebook page, DB shooting adventures, and he does a lot of historical revolver stuff. One of the things we've, we've really taken a lot of emphasis on is with semi-autos. Now we, we sh have shifted the emphasis of how to shoot them well from the trigger to how we actually hold the gun because they're very ammunition dependent to make them function. They're very, um, I won't say they're finicky, but the, the emphasis on how to run those well tends to be centered around how you are actually physically holding the gun versus a revolver. They're very, they're non-ammunition dependent to function. If you get a dead round, there's no other manual of arms, but pull the trigger again. Yep. So the emphasis for training on those is centered around how to run and manage the trigger. So it, it's two very uh, 180 degree different schools of thought on the training side. However, they have overlap that really makes sense when you, especially like you said, you're having somebody that doesn't understand the concept of how to hold the gun and work a trigger without moving the gun that is amplified a hundred times over with a revolver. So, and you can see, like you said, you can see it. So my two cents um, on that. I guess. <laughs> some of, some of the stuff that I think of though, as, as far as moving into the concealed carry realm um, is is carry options how how we're going to go about that what are what are we gonna you know and you know <clears throat> you and i both know tons of cops that have stuck a five shot in an ankle holster mm -hmm. um as a backup gun or, or it's inside their vest somewhere as a backup um and those are those are like worst case scenario things for for law enforcement um but more along the lines for a carrier, um, you know, Lisa's first first holster she ever came up with was for a revolver. A lot of people don't mm -hmm. realize that. Um, but there's all kinds of options out there and you can go. You can go appendix now, you can go pocket carry. I mean, there's so many, so many ways to to move about the world uh with a revolver i mean you're you're doing modern day carry styles with with uh kind of old old world technology so yeah and i i have there are pretty much four configurations or and i won't say configurations like carry styles but the way that that i i carry uh a wheel gun and and most of the time these days I'm, I'm living with a Ruger LCR, uh, which is to me is the Glock of, of small frame revolvers. It there, there's really no character to them. They have a decent trigger out of the box. The sights are okay. Um, and they're a lot of the, you know, they're like a polymer hybrid gun. So they're fairly light, which makes them, a little more challenging to practice with. Um, and I'm running a set of Hogue Bantam grips on it, which is just enough to put your hands on the gun. So it's not, um, definitely not something that you, you know, if, if Rob calls me tomorrow and says, Hey, we got to go to a gunfight. 
not the gun I'm taking to go fight with, right? It's the get me out of trouble and convenience gun. Mm-hmm. And I carry in a, a, a Rob Micah pocket holster that just breaks the outline of it. It's a little, um, and then wilderness tactical builds two of my absolute favorite pro, uh, like a pocket and an ankle rig. I'm sure you remember the era of the renegade holster for the ankle, right? That's it, it's elastic Velcro sheepskin. And, uh, back in the day we had to like send a self-addressed stamped envelope to some shady PO box. And six weeks later, this, you know, this magical item showed up and, uh, I carried one of those for about 10 years in patrol, uh, with a J frame revolver. And, uh, a couple of years ago, I met gun sight at a revolver shoot and wilderness tactical is manufacturing those again. And I'm not going to say I was moved to tears, but I'll just say I was <laughs> like emotionally charged about that because my favorite ankle holster is available again. And it's, I can actually go to a website and like hit a drop down menu and order it. There's no, well, have you heard about this and you've got to send it to California and anyway. Uh, and then dark star gear makes the Apollo appendix holster. I've carried those a little bit, uh, really well thought out, well-designed, pretty simple and pretty comfortable for an appendix rig. Uh, and then the fourth way I carry them is sometimes I got to go get my mail and I drop a revolver with no holster into a jacket pocket. Yeah. Um, maybe not the preferred method for everyone, but I can't think of any striker fired semi-auto that I would care to throw in a pocket with an exposed trigger guard and feel okay. Uh, just simply because of how the mechanisms work. Uh, right. We we can have a measure of safety with that provided there's no other obstructions in the, in the pocket, even a pants pocket. Um, you know, it, I watched my dad for 20 years carry a revolver in all manner of, of, of methods, uh, very rarely with a holster. Um, now of course today we've got tech and we've got Kydex and all these great materials that people are making, but I would be really really against even considering you know a glock 42 43 and just tucking that in my waistband and going on about about life that's just we just don't do that those guns those guns on a on a bad day have a five and a half pound trigger and a revolver on a good day has double that plus double the distance to move it right so so there's there's some pros to uh you know, to the revolver craft. So, well, if, if, if my revolver discharges, it is an absolute deliberate act. Yes. It, it's not a, it's not a oops thing. It, it's, I meant to do that. Um, one of the other, one of the other aspects um, moves into uh, defensive ammunition. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, for, you know, even in law enforcement, you know, you, we had so many, so many things. And, and part of this was our fault. And, and you and I both have, have talked about this previously and because shot placement is everything. Um, but I've seen guys that were in very fluid 
active shootings going on that put rounds on target that did not get the desired effect mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> um, and a lot of, a lot of us, I, myself included, I, I moved away from a nine to a 45 back in 96, 97, somewhere in there. Um, and it was just the simple fact that if, if I was ever cornered into that position and I needed to make somebody stop, I wanted to ensure that they were going to stop. Um, and I didn't have the faith in the nine millimeter that was out there at the time right then. Mm -hmm. uh, currently, man, there's some really good stuff out there on the market, um, including for, for some smaller framed um, revolvers. So it it's not so much about, you know, I have no other choice. This is all I get to do. Um, there, there's actually some really legit stuff that that's been manufactured now that, that will serve the purpose that you needed to. Yeah. And I, I was in the same, that same category, uh, because up until probably 2007, eight, nine millimeter ammunition, especially when you're working in an agency where you don't get the option to be flexible with what ammo you carry. You get what is issued to you, period, end of end of discussion. Uh, I went from the, the 45 ACP to the 40 Smith & Wesson because at the time, that was the only ammunition our agency was buying that was bonded. And being the, the propeller-headed turbo nerd about ballistics and all that, the bonded ammunition just worked better in semi-autos. It just... And then... Lo and behold, three, four years later, uh, pretty much the 40 had kind of slowed down and all of the DOJ NIJ approved ammunition, almost all of it universally was bonded that yep. met all those, those criteria, um, revolver ammunition technology kind of dropped off in the late nineties. You were getting jacketed hollow point 38s were plus P or wide cutters. Um, and then that tech just kind of, well, nobody's carrying it. So we just keep producing what we've always produced. Uh, Daryl and I had a lengthy conversation about, can you imagine what would have, what we would have today had that tech not slowed down? Yeah. Um, and with revolvers, barrel length tends to be very, and, and even semi-autos, uh, barrel length and ammunition selection are critical and working in an institution, you go, I have to put the same ammunition in my backup revolver that the guy carrying a four or five inch service gun is, is using. And that's not always optimal. Um, I, I was recently involved kind of on the tertiary of a project to, uh, get an ammunition company to make a 148 grain sharp shouldered wide cutter uh, travel 750 feet per second out of an inch and seven eighths inch Smith and Wesson uh, 642 442 because that's kind of the the available guns. And as we go back in history, what we've started realizing with revolvers is they kind of got it right about 50 years ago. Um, you, know, you talk to dudes from NYPD that were you know, in multiple 
shootings and the 158 grain service uh semi wide cutter worked really good when they placed them where they needed to be and then they kind of dove off into the jacket at hollow points and all that but and we've kind of come full circle now that we're finding that our pocket snub revolvers work really good and they're really shootable with wide cutter ammunition that breaks about 700 feet per second and the ballistic testing I'm seeing just is eye-opening. It's, it's, uh, I never would have thought that all those years we were poking holes in B27 targets. We were launching absolutely fantastic carry ammunition into dirt. Uh, I, I just, I go back and I kind of cringe to think of the hundreds of thousands of those that I've, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and I went, I had no idea. Nobody told me back then that, Hey, that's a pretty good defensive load. Um, now out of a four inch service gun, maybe not so much, uh, you know, you, you're getting into the realm of ballistics where we can, we can make bullets, um, bend to our will, so to speak. Um, you don't have much barrel and you don't have, you don't have powder burn rates and all that, that are really accommodating of a, uh, a snub revolver, but, and man, you're, I, th I think you can feel the downdraft from the propeller on my hat now. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but that being said, um, there's a, there's a company that, that uh, me and a guy named Mark Fricky, who is a ballistic uh, wizard, uh, Chuck Haggard, Rob Garrett, and some other guys have all put our heads together, bulky and Dobbs and all these other dudes and said, Hey, you know, if we had a snub load, that was a, wad cutter that would do 750 ish out of a out of a pocket gun that would be like optimal and uh, a company in george george arms started producing it based on nothing more than than our input um and thus far the all the testing results have been it just works as advertised um major ammunition companies they're not going to take down nine millimeter producing machines to do that so yeah. No, that's pretty but, cool to be, a, be able to be kind of on the input end of, of doing things like that though and of course you're, you're also going on the word of a bunch of nobodies that you just named off with but having having somebody be receptive to that in the, in the ammunition producing world yes. when let's face it right now, companies can't make enough nine millimeter ammunition to, to satisfy the demands of the market or even the LE market. And the tech for that ammo is so good. Um, you know, there's so many good options available. Um, and, and in snubs, there's, there's other options other than, than just say, you know, hollow base lead wide cutters yeah uh but a lot of those options then get into the realm of recoil and just wear and tear on the gun that can be detrimental over time whereas a 148 wad cutter now they're not super comfortable out of a small gun with small stocks and all that but they're they're manageable if that makes sense and um 
matter of fact, that uh, the video that kind of stirred a little, I won't say controversy, but it was, uh, I think, eye-opening to some people where Rob Garrett and I were running under three quarters of a second consistently draw the first shot from a pocket at about about two and a half yards, about fighting distance, uh, and parking one round in the head of a USPSA target every, consistently every single time. Uh, we were shooting 135 grain uh, gold dot, and it's pretty snappy. But if you make the first shot count right now, the chances of you having to make a second, third, fourth, fifth shot yeah. Um, and that was done in the context of like normal earth people, you know, as a cop, it, it, to me, it serves a really good role as a backup or a, like a non-permissive environment gun, something where the risk of, of me having to use that, utilize that in an ongoing confrontation is pretty low. Right. Um, but backup guns for, for cops, um, that kind of died off for a while as well. And I've always been a proponent of if you're going to carry, you should carry a secondary. And the second is if it gets to secondary, it's likely an entanglement or it's something real bad. Um, and now you've gone to a platform that's not ammunition dependent. Right. To make it work. Right. So, and you're, you're far more educated on entanglements than I am. But a circular gun that uh, doesn't require moving mass to get it to function serves a really, really big benefit in that context, right? Absolutely. You know, if if we're if we're engaged with a with a semi-auto, um, and even without your input, it's just my input. But in the stress and in the in the middle of that you know, that fight for survival, you press that muzzle to somebody and you've just taken your own weapon out of battery. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to go click. You're not going to have anything that you're expecting. Um, whereas with, with a little pocket revolver, not only do I, do I not knock it out of battery? I get, I get the added benefit of all those gases mm -hmm. being part of being part of that solution to stop the threat as well. Um, and, and for those out there that, that haven't seen ballistic tests, that haven't done things like that to, to understand the difference between, um, you know, no contact to contact to really, really pressed is it's amazing the difference when those gases have no place to escape except for, a contained Forward. gelatinous body, uh, yeah. you know, that's 70 some percent water. It, it, it causes displacement. That's pretty yeah, it's, outstanding. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, I was just going to throw in Chuck Haggard demonstrated something to me that I had never seen before when it came to entanglements. And, you know, I, I'm not going to get into like the, the minutia of his, the stuff he teaches, However, somebody that gets their hands on a revolver, one, it's, it's not square and there's not a lot of real estate to hang on to. And if somebody were to get their hand around that cylinder, you can actually physically manipulate the grip 
in one or the other direction to rotate the cylinder to the, the round it's going to fire. So even somebody that has their hand on a gun in an entanglement, you still have the benefit of being able to operate the firearm. Whereas with a semi-auto, you know, as well as I know that spring tension doesn't take much to knock it out of the, out of battery. Yep. Uh, and they're designed that way so that the cartridge won't turn into a pipe bomb and fire out of battery. Yes. Um, so yeah, the, the revolver in that context is pretty, it kind of owns that space. Um, and, and I'm not the authority on that guys like, you know, Cecil Birch and Chuck Haggard can speak to that for in volumes. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's that. What, uh, what you were, you were talking about a, a little pocket holster to, to break up the pattern. What, what was the, the preferred pocket holster that you've come across? Uh, I've got, there's two that I really like and one, one's from wilderness tactical. Um, they make a lot of like nylon products and just fantastic stuff. Uh, I actually became aware of their gear when I was in the army. They, they, a lot of the special forces teams used a, a pretty, pretty large amount of their equipment. Um, and the renegade, or I'm sorry, the renegade ankle holster. And then, uh, Daryl bulky. I don't know if this goes out on YouTube, but uh, he he designed this in conjunction with them. It's called the uh, Force Option Holster, and it has a little pocket on the outer edge of it for carrying a speed strip or uh, as the way Daryl carries it is with a you know an expired hotel room key or gift card, and maybe a, a dollar wrapped around it, so that if he's got to go into a pocket, he's got at least a dummy or a decoy or something that he can uh, gives him another option to sure. before before force is applied right um and this one works good in your more like baggy uh baggy type cargo pants uh mm -hmm. or shorts and and it'll fit like the ruger lcr or a j frame uh smith and wesson 642 442 36 smaller frame smiths Sure. Uh, and then the other one, the one I like for Smith and Wessons is, is by, by Rob Micah, Micah pocket holsters. He's a old LAPD gunfighter. Um, him and his brother were pretty, pretty legendary at LAPD. And he developed, a like the most simple pocket holster, um, uh, where you can actually stage your hand in the holster, um, which is how we've, you know, achieve those those uh ridiculously fast draw to first shot at a typical fight distance like double arms length maybe um and it, it's really it, it's so ridiculously simple it it's genius right and uh and and I, i've carried one of these off and on for years um rob rob mike is still making them so uh i i I've got a couple of them and, and he makes them in different sizes and stuff like that. But for non-permissive environment stuff, this thing is really great. And I mean, I don't know how much you want to dive into that, but that's, uh, you know, I don't want to encourage anybody to go, you know, intentionally go into some quasi non-permissive environment, but uh, with a, with a firearm, if it's in violation of state and local law, or, but 
Um, but for cops and tradecraft like that, uh, it it's exceptional. It's just a, it's a fantastic option for breaking the outline of a revolver in your pocket and having something that you can get to, you can access very easily and stage, even stage your hand casually on your revolver when you could be in a situation where you might need to access it. Yeah. Um, more so than having to move garments out of the way to achieve a, a, a draw. It it's, there's a lot of merit to it. Um, the, uh, I'm glad you cut yourself off where you did, um, in <laughs> non-permissive environments. Um, because we're, we're really talking mostly for, uh, civilians that are out there to, uh, be their first, be their first responder. You know, they're, they are their first line of defense. Um, help will get there, but help doesn't always get there when you need it. So um, when when I hear guys, you know, go off on the, you know, it's, you know, it's a revolver. You got five shots, you got six shots, you only have this, you only have that. It It's way better than not having anything. Um, so if it, if it is my worst case scenario thing, then so be it. That's, that's good enough for me. Um, and I put all my other tools and, and understand my mission is not, I am not working in law enforcement anymore. I'm not the guy that's being called on to go take down a, a building or an active shooter or anything else. But I, I'm not concerned with the fact that I only have these rounds. I know how many rounds I have and I'm going to be intelligent with them. And, and I'm not going to show my hand until I don't have any other choice. Um, I, I am a believer, like now that I'm, I'm transitioning into, uh, normal earth people land. Um, uh, and I don't mean that to sound like, like I'm staring down my nose at, at your average concealed carrier. It's not the case at all. It's just the mission set is changing rapidly yep. for me. Um, I, I have always subscribed to when I'm off duty as a cop, I carry a gun that I would go to a fight. I'd go pick a fight with, and I don't mean pick a fight in the sense of I'm going to go find somebody and pick it. I'm saying the fight has befallen me and I need to resolve that situation. I, I need to resolve that. Um, now that I'm transitioning into like a quasi normal life, mm -hmm. I carry a gun that will not embolden me to do that. And, and I am not picking on people that, you know, appendix carry a 30 round, you know, 1911 or something. It's not the case at all, but it forces you to exercise a different level of caution and a different level of uh, awareness when you have a five shot revolver versus Dude, if I've got my G45 and an appendix rig and a, and a spare mag, okay, hey, jump in the stack. Let's go. Yes. I mean, that's the, it, it's a mindset shift. And, uh, and that's why I've been really fortunate to, to have guys like Daryl Balky and Wayne Dobbs and Haney McMood to call them my, you know, my friends. They're not just colleagues and associates. These are people I talk to daily and, they've made that transition from 
being an active law enforcement officer to um, enjoying normal life, so to speak. Um, and they're all at any given time, every single one of them has a snub in a pocket. And I'm like, why? You know, my mindset for years has been, shoot, I don't want to go to a gunfight like that. And their answer is like, junior, you, you, you don't really need to worry about going and gunfighting anymore. It's, <laughs> this is just, this is your fire extinguisher. This is the, this is the, oh crap switch in my pocket, right? The, uh, that I didn't go looking for this. This came to me and, and it's a good, um, it's a good reserve parachute. It's not, yeah. not something you want to jump out with on purpose, but you definitely <laughs> want to have it when you need it. Right. It beats not having one at all. <laughs> there you go. Um, and it, it forces me to, um, to make the time to practice, um, and there's such a simple manual of arms with the guns. It, you know, I can dry practice without a whole lot of uh, manipulation to the to the, the actual firearm, right? I, I mean, I can loading and unloading is a very simple task with with a revolver. Whereas, how many times have you seen people that were professional gun handlers? that get the whole remove the source of ammunition and then clear the chamber thing backwards. Oh yeah. Yeah. How many ears have you had rung from that? Rutro. Sorry. Anybody hit? No. Okay. Now the paperwork starts. Good deal. You know that, that, and that's people that do it every single day. So, um, so yeah, there's there's definitely benefits to a revolver that that you know we we have a generation that is rediscovering them now and uh, and there's just not a lot of people passing that that knowledge along. It's a it's gotten to be a very select number of people. So yeah, um, you know we we touched just touched on on kind of knowing your mission. That's something I always kind of want people to be very cognizant about um one of the other things that that we always talk about is training and um not only is is brian uh a proficient shooter he's also a firearms instructor but that being said i haven't even brought this up to him but i'm going to throw him a curveball and go who are you going to train with this year who are you going to take from this year well, um, that's, I tend to lean more towards, uh, conference environment now, as opposed to like lengthy two, three, four day endeavors. Uh, right. so at TACCON, my, my, my friend, Eric Gelhaus is, uh, doing a block there on, uh, broken and occluded red dots and newsflash people. I am not anti red dot <laughs> at all. I've, uh, I've just seen trends come and go for long enough that I'm cautiously optimistic when I see, uh, hardware gadgetry to try to fix software problems and 
Sometimes I think we invent problems to invent solutions for them. And I'm not opposed to them at all. It's one of the shortcomings I have. Uh, and mainly because in the past, every time I'd experimented with them, I broke them really quickly and it just, and now, you know, we're in the era where that's, that's coming on strong and we now Taurus is producing a revolver made for a red dot. So I went, you know, if they're doing it for revolvers, it's probably time to get on that bus and really, um, <laughs> explore it. So that's, um, yeah, so Eric Gelhaus, uh, plan on training with him this year. Uh, anytime I can get into a classroom environment with a guy named Tom Givens, uh, I, I'm going to. Uh, that's that's on the horizon. And then uh, Andy Stanford from Surefire, uh, he he's coming to do a uh, like a, a low light kind of. I, I won't say like a full tactical operation shooting school. Right. But something for people that, that, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm incessant about carrying a flashlight might as well learn how to use that and shoot with it better. And I I've been to low light training before, but I think this is more centric on normal earth people as opposed to the operational environment. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm going to train with Andy this year and, and that's kind of the two big ones on my radar is Andy and Eric Gelhouse. And then uh, I've got a block with Tom Givens at, at TACCON. So, Excellent. so that, yeah. yeah. How, about, then, how about your stuff? Are you, you traveling this year? Um, as of right now, I'm nursing a, a, a pretty severe hip injury. So I have kind of cleared the schedule and just uh, I'm going to do the stuff I'm committed to doing. And, uh, it, I've, I've got some stuff in the works, but I I'm kind of proceeding with caution on that. Cause I don't want to commit to something and then be hobbling on crutches for a month or two and not be able to deliver a quality product. So, um, and I've got a lot of demand for 1911 knowledge stuff. So that's in the works as well. Uh, you know, teaching, teaching a generation of gen four, gen five Glock carriers to, uh, get a depth of knowledge with the 1911, 2011s as I've gotten, I've got an overwhelming n amount of demand to pass that knowledge. I just got to take care of the old uh, joint there before, before I can really commit to anything. So understand that brother, man, thank you so much for hopping on with us today, Brian. I appreciate you coming in. Um, tell our folks how they can, go see your uh see your page tell them how they can get to your uh to your belt and that kind of thing so let's see we'll start with the belts i get edcbeltco.com it's like belt company but abbreviated beltco all one uh one word edc for everyday carry belt company but it's edcbeltco.com that's uh the website where you can uh purchase a belt uh or or as i call it join the adopt a cop silver membership program i, I appreciate that <laughs> for everybody that that has uh been so gracious as to support a, a company that uh employs a couple of people and and everything's manufactured right here in the usa so you know it's 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 a good thing 
Uh, then I've got uh, offdutyonduty.com, which is the podcast uh, webpage. Um, and, and that podcast goes out on Spotify and Blueberry and all the, all the major platforms. Um, I Apple podcasts and Google play and all that good stuff. And I, that's a, that's a fun endeavor. I get to kind of like tell the concealed carrying populace about kind of the mindset and thought uh, like differences in how cops think versus, uh, concealed carriers or, or the armed populace. Right. And some of the differences, a lot of the similarities, things like that, and have a lot of guests. You've been on it a bunch of lots of good dudes have been on that podcast and they've been real gracious with their time and got more of those in the works. I'm coming up on episode 100. So trying to plan something special for that. And then, um, and then I've got the, the Patreon page is under Eastridge training and consulting, which is the LLC I've had for like five years that I, I, I run all the, uh, you know, like security gigs, consulting gigs, LE training gigs, stuff like that through. And that Patreon page is, I write some articles on it that are, I try to be a little thought provoking about things. And then, um, it, thanks to the magic of the iPhone and, and I I'm able to create some pretty high quality video on some step-by-step -step on, on how to disassemble and maintain revolvers, Beretta 92s, 2011s. Uh, and then I take Q and A's on there. So, you know, if, if you're a member and you have a question about a, about a gun or, or something, you know, some issue you're having with a, with a particular platform, uh, that I can help with. I, I'm, I'm very responsive on it. Um, let's see what else that's then let's see for, for training commitments this year. If, if you do want to come and, and see what I offer as far as live fire training and lecture, uh, I got, I got tapped to be a presenter at TACCON this year. That was kind of a surprise, a last minute surprise. Um, so I'll be at Dallas pistol club for TACCON. That event is sold out. It usually sells out about a day and a half after they, they announced the sales site. Yeah. Yeah. You got to jump. Um, and I understand you're going to be presenting there as well. So, Sure. so we'll have a we'll have a, a great time there and then uh the guardian conference in september that's run by concealedcarry.com that's up in edmond oklahoma at the oklahoma city gun club i'll be presenting three four i usually do three or four blocks there and the belt company will have a booth there and then in november every year um this will be well this will be year number three is an attendee and number two is a presenter uh, is at the Pat Rogers Memorial revolver roundup that is out at gunsight Academy in uh, Paulden, Arizona. And yeah. that we've been talking revolvers and I haven't even got the chance to plug that event. Um, I'm actually taking one Gary Eastridge with me this year. I got, uh, I peeled, peeled him away and, and, uh, Merry Christmas, dad. That was your, your Christmas present. Uh, but, but that is a, uh, a gathering of people who have grown up in the institutions of revolvers and have devoted to the craft. And I teach a, uh, a couple of two hour blocks on PPC shooting and that, that sports kind of, I hate to say it's dying a slow death, but it's, it, 
it's something that has value and it's valid uh, in the context for what it is. And uh, oddly enough, people showed up to watch me talk about it. I was like, I was just thrilled that that, that was, uh, that was the case. And a lot of them were, were younger people. Uh, and then some of the, the older age dudes that had never been exposed to it. And, uh, and we do a little condensed block and, and then we've got a dude from LAPD SIS that presents there that has carried guns into places that are pretty, uh, pretty bold. Um, and then a lot of guys that are just devoted to passing that knowledge on to other people. And it's a fantastic event. If you've never been to Gunsight, it is, um, it's a cost-effective option to go and actually see the facility and participate in some live fire training there. Um, and the, I've said it 101 times when it comes to uh, combative shooting with, with a handgun uh, and where it was all codified, all roads lead to gun site. So uh, great event. And uh, that, that event fills up pretty fast. There's still some tickets available for it and it's on guns. It's available on gun sites website. So that's my three training commitments for the year uh, as of right now. So. Very cool. Well, brother, thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Um, we look forward to seeing everybody else again next week. Um, as always, if you got any questions, comments, concerns, you can always get me directly at Rob, R-O-B, at ccwsafe.com. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next, next go-round.